Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, January 4th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only union screen printer in Boston. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Beantown Athletics is also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back and make sure you tell them I sent you. So Happy New Year, everybody. This is... The first show of 2016. Though when I say Happy New Year, I always try to figure out if if it's too late. Is January 4th too late to say Happy New Year to someone? Like, when is the cutoff date? I feel like this is a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Though, if you listen to me all the time uh, or follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I think you know that my life is pretty similar to a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. We always joke on this show, at least when uh, my producer, Pete Needham, used to be in here with me. Uh, we used to joke, he used to play the music all the time, the Curb Your Enthusiasm music over some rants that I would have because it would be very similar to a Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm moment. But uh, this would be one of them, right? Like, it's January 4th. Is it? Is it too late to tell you Happy New Year? Because... I said Happy New Year to you when we wrapped up 2015 last Wednesday. I said it again to you when I was on WEEI on New Year's Eve morning. Like, do you say it before? How, and what's the cutoff date? Like, January 10th rolls, rolls around, right? Next week, next Monday, January 11th. If somebody comes up to you, like if you're going out, you're just getting a coffee next Monday morning, it's the 11th of January, 2016 is still fresh. But if somebody says to you, Happy New Year, are you going to give them a weird look? Like if I came up to you in a week on, on January 11th and said, hey, Happy New Year, well, how would you react to that? Because technically, you know, then again, the new year is still fresh. Only It'll be only 11 days in. Is that weird if I say that to you? I guess... And first of all, I'm not going to say it to you next Monday, but you know there is some, there's someone that you're going to see that you haven't seen yet in 2016. Maybe it's not a cutoff date. Maybe it's just somebody that you're close to that you've, you have not seen yet in 2016. Then maybe you can say it. I don't know. Here's the deal. I'm going to say it one last time to you on this show. Happy New Year, because this is the first time I'm talking to you in 2016 on this podcast. I am here five days a week. Uh, thank you to any of the new listeners, subscribers that uh, I have acquired in this new year. Last year, 2015, I, again, I wrapped it up on Wednesday's podcast of last week. Uh, I gave you a best of, the best moments, my favorite moments of this show uh, from last year. We rebranded this show, relaunched this podcast here in the Beantown Athletic Studio, this state-of-the-art studio, uh, right before right before the Super Bowl last year. So we've pretty much gone a full year on this show. And uh, if 2015 and the way we progressed with some of the guests 
with uh, I, I just some of the numbers in general that we've been receiving, subscribers, downloads, listens. If that's any indication of where we're going in 2016, then it's going to be a good year. And I did tell you, and I sort of teased it out. I teased this to you out on Twitter and social media last night and even last week during the podcast. I will kick off 2016 with a very very big special guest on tomorrow's podcast. And I will reveal that right now. It'll be the Boston Red Sox general manager, Mike Hazen. He will join me on this show tomorrow over the phone. Uh, I will talk to him about all the moves the Red Sox have made. I'll talk to him about uh, this entire offseason, what he expects going into the 2016 Major League Baseball season. So I'll talk with him tomorrow. Again, Mike Hazen. General Manager of your Boston Red Sox will join me as the first guest of 2016. But I get it on this Monday, January 4th. It's a football Monday. It, that's it. We're not doing baseball today. We're doing football because we now know the playoff picture. We know the playoff schedule in the National Football League. Week 17, the final week of the regular season, wrapped up yesterday, wrapped up last night as the Minnesota Vikings went into Lambeau and beat the Green Bay Packers, which means the Minnesota Vikings. They are the NFC North champion. And when I go back to my preseason predictions, you know, when I do predictions, I go all out. I get creative. I let my imagination take over. And uh, I had the Vikings in. Now, I got that wrong, though, because I had the Vikings in as a wildcard team, not as the division winner. They win the division. They beat Green Bay last night 20-13 to on Sunday night football. So that means the Minnesota Vikings, do they get rewarded? Well, I guess they get rewarded with a home game, but they don't necessarily get rewarded with the team they have to face. It'll be the Seattle Seahawks who whooped the Arizona Cardinals yesterday. Now, this game was over in the first half. The Cardinals sat their starters, uh, sat their quarterback in the second half because they saw that Carolina was winning their game and there was really no shot for Arizona to do anything else and to get that one seed. They could not get that anymore. Carolina, uh, they won their game. They finished 15-1. and The Panthers get the one seed. Home field advantage throughout the playoffs in the NFC. So Arizona did the right thing. They sat their starters in the second half. Seattle goes on to win. Uh, but because, because the Vikings beat Green Bay last night, Seattle stays in the sixth seed. And uh, Seattle will now go to Minnesota, which means Green Bay drops down to the five seed as a wild card team. They will go to Washington to take on the Redskins. And... Uh, Look, I told you about Washington. I told you how I feel about them. I don't think, I, I don't think they're a team that that you should sleep on, or at least I don't think we should look at the Redskins and say they're going to be an easy out in this postseason. I don't think they're going to be. Now, I, I'm not going to make my picks just yet, but when I look at the spreads for the wild card rounds, and again, you know, just look at the NFC right now. I'll get to the AFC in a minute, but. Seattle going to Minnesota. Seattle's a six and a half point favorite to open up here. Six and a half point favorite. So there's going to be some tough picks. Uh, Green Bay going to Washington. 
The Redskins are a favorite, one and a half point favorite in this one. So look, I I mean, you've seen Green Bay. They're having a tough time protecting Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is having a tough time. Even when he can create some more time for himself, he's having a tough time finding open receivers. You know, they do not have Jordy Nelson. So, I mean, Eddie Lacy is, is not the guy that a lot of fantasy football owners, as well as the Green Bay Packers, thought he was going to be this season. So, the Packers, they have their issues. And Washington, even though it's a terrible division, I'm telling you right now, they have a quarterback. Because when I look at the NFL playoffs, there's three things that I look at from a team, from, from any team that's in it. And, and whether or not they can be successful or they cannot be successful, okay? Three things. One, first and foremost is, this is a quarterback league. If you do not have a quarterback who can make plays, then, and and you know what? I am talking with your arm. You need to be able to throw the football. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, if a guy's running around or can run, that doesn't mean I look at him and think he can't have success. But you need to be able to make plays, Okay, that's one thing. Two, does that very same quarterback make make big mistakes? Can can you not turn the ball over? All right. And I was saying about for Minnesota, I was talking about Teddy Bridgewater. You know, most of the praise I've given this kid is that he does not turn the ball over. He does not make the stupid mistake. Well, if you're a Viking fan, I think you hope that the stupid mistake that he made last night where he decides to throw the football with his opposite hand. Yes, it was a great interception, but just an awful decision to even give Green Bay the opportunity to intercept the football. Teddy Bridgewater, a kid who's been so good all year long, even under pressure, to not make the big mistake, to be able to run out of the pocket, throw it out of bounds, and and not turn it over. I mean, just as dumb a decision as you could make as a quarterback at any level to decide to throw the football with your non-throwing hand into the middle of the field. It's never going to work out for you. So I think if you're a Viking fan, you hope he got got that out of his way. But, you know, those are two of the things. One, do you have a quarterback that can make big plays? Two, do you have a quarterback that will not turn the football over? And three, when you get to the defensive side, these are my top three things. For, for teams that I look at and and I say they either can or cannot win in the playoffs with the, you need to have these three things to win. Quarterback making plays, quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over and makes the smart decision, even if it's, whether it's to slide instead of maybe extending for the first down and possibly, you know, injuring himself or just rolling out of bounds and throwing it away. And there's so many guys in this league that, that don't want to do that. It, it, it's a simple decision, and it's a rule that they put in place for you. Uh, so some when guys don't do that, I'll never understand it, but those are two things with the quarterback. The third thing in general is on the defensive side, it's can you get to the quarterback? Can you get to the quarterback? That That's what it comes down to. Those are the top three things. Now, obviously, if you want to... You know, if you wanted me to list five, I would say, you know, protecting the quarterback is is certainly up there in the list. But the top three, in my opinion, quarterback that can make plays because it's a quarterback's league. And on just to sort of uh, piggyback off that, do you have a quarterback that also won't turn the ball over? You, you need a QB that's going to make smart decisions along with being able to make plays. And three, a defense that can get to the quarterback. Uh, and when I look at a team like the Washington Redskins in a quarterback's league, they have a quarterback who's established himself here in the second half of the season 
as someone who can have the big game and make the big plays. Kirk Cousins, I I mean, I don't want to sit here and call him an elite QB because I think you at least need to win one playoff game uh, or or go on a little bit of a run to, to even be in that conversation. But at least he shows, he's showing me that he has the tools to be an elite quarterback or at least win a playoff game or two. I just don't think the Redskins are going to be as easy and out as maybe some people think just because they won a division that was awful. Yes, the division was bad, but the Redskins have also been playing some very good football. And I tell you what, if they can get anything out of their defense in this postseason and we can continue to see Kirk Cousins play the way he's been playing as of late, they could be they could be Green Bay. And if they beat Green Bay, you know, who knows? I, I still look at the NFC. I see Carolina, Arizona. I still think they're the most dominant teams there. Uh, I, I Look, I've given Minnesota credit all year long, right? Uh, Adrian Peterson. Now we got banged up again last night in that game. Uh, but I look, I love Minnesota's defense at the same time. And if Bridgewater's not throwing with his non-throwing hand, I, I think he, he he's certainly a quarterback that, is going to limit the mistakes and is not going to turn the ball over. He's not going to have the 350-yard pass game, but they're not asking him to do that when you have Peterson. The question will come back to Peterson's health. But even with those things, I still don't put them on the same level as an Arizona or a Carolina. And then when you look at Seattle, all right, they're the sixth seed. Um, And there's a reason why they're a a six-and-a-half-point favorite going to Minnesota, a division champ, in the wild card round. There's a reason why they're a favorite, Seattle. And it really is because Russell Wilson has really... Look, the offense in Seattle has improved after they've lost some of their key pieces, like Marshawn Lynch. And then they had another running back in Rawls that went down. And they lost Jimmy Graham. I mean, they lost major pieces, big-name superstar players, and Russell Wilson took that offense and made them better. There aren't many quarterbacks in this league that can do that. And for anybody, look, if you've listened to me, you know that I am very, I speak very highly of Russell Wilson's ability to throw the football downfield and make big passes deep. He can do that. Anybody who thinks he can't, they don't watch him play. They don't. I'm, I'm convinced of it. I tr- I've had people coming to me the last two years when the Seahawks are in the Super Bowl saying, oh, Russell Wilson can't throw. He's not going to beat you with his arm. Yes, he is. He's, he can beat you with his arm. I think he's proven that. If you don't believe it, you haven't been watching him. I didn't need this recent stretch of play from Seattle to show me that Russell Wilson can throw the ball downfield accurately and, and make big plays with his arm. I didn't need to see this recent stretch. If you've watched him, you know. And it's because of him and, you know, his defense. Look, Seattle's defense is still there. I think the one thing with Seattle is they're used to playing these playoff games at home the last couple of years. And they're not going to get that this, this year. They're not. So as the sixth seed, you got to be a road warrior. And um, look, I think they could probably go into Minnesota and win, given how good Seattle is. But if they win that game, they're going to Carolina. I think that's going to be a... Look, f- basically, Seattle's road to the Super Bowl is going to have to be win at Minnesota, win at Carolina, and then win at Arizona. I think, I think that's going to be the road for them. And, you know, if you look around, the, like if you, when we go over to the AFC and we go over the road to the Super Bowl in the AFC, 
it won't be as it's not as difficult as Seattle's road. Seattle will have the most difficult road to the Super Bowl because they got to do it on the road, and not only that, they got to do it on the road against two pretty dominant teams. And even the first team they're playing, Minnesota. I told you, I I like them this year. They have a great defense, and um. You know, they got Adrian Peterson, and if he can break a couple big plays for you, maybe early in that game, Seattle, they're playing from behind. Again, against a good defense who's at home, you never know what can happen. But Seattle, if they want to get to the Super Bowl, if they want to play in Super Bowl 50, man, they got to go into Minnesota and win. Then they'll have to go into Carolina and win because the sixth seed will automatically play the one. And then if they win that, and I don't even know if that's going to happen, if they win that... They're going to have to go into Arizona. Um, so much has been made of Cam Newton being the MVP candidate. And can we take the word candidate off of that? Really? Can we do that? Because it's not candidate. It's MVP. That's it. Cam Newton's the MVP. All right? He is. Um, they're 15-1. At one point in time, we thought they were going to go undefeated. I really did. And then Atlanta beat them the second time around last week, which I, I'm still shocked over. And uh, But, uh, you know, Carolina, as good as they look, they have the MVP. If I were to match up the top two teams here in the NFC and say, who's better, Carolina or Arizona? Like when you, we went over this last week, when you check off everything, when you, you know, you get all the categories, quarterback, running back, uh, defense, cornerback, pass rush, you want to, all of those things, and you want to give teams an advantage, or just just take one team for instance, one team at a time. And do they have do they have the quarterback check? Do they have the running back check? When you look at Arizona, you can pretty much check off all of those boxes. And they have the quarterback, they have the receiving core, they have the running back. All right, in David Johnson, and who's basically come off the bench to replace Chris Johnson. And Chris Johnson was having a phenomenal year. But I think you look at Arizona's offensive line, I think the, the, the success that David Johnson has been having also speaks volumes about what their offensive line has been. And that obviously will help your quarterback in the playoffs. But you look at Arizona's defense, do you see how they get to the quarterback? I, I, and, and I'm not going to look at yesterday's game against Seattle and uh, judge them on that. But Arizona, to me, might be the most dangerous team in the NFC. But it's pretty clear. The most dangerous teams in the NFC are Arizona and Carolina. And Seattle will have to beat both of those teams in their own building unless something crazy happens. I just I don't see Arizona losing before the NFC championship game. And, you know, again, Seattle still has to beat Minnesota. So I know this is sort of um, teasing some future matchups that might not even happen because Seattle needs to take care of business on the road in Minnesota. Seattle, they're used to playing this time of year. Russell Wilson's used to playing this time of year. But they're also used to playing this time of year at home. And uh, they're not going to be able to do that this time around. So the NFC is very interesting. We'll see how it plays out. And the AFC, I know here locally in New England, this is what we're focused on right now. And uh, yesterday was just another crazy day in the NFL because going into yesterday, the AFC playoff picture looked like this. Patriots with a one seed, all right? Um, and you go to the 
sixth seed was the New York Jets. The Steelers were on the outside looking in, and the Patriots, all they had to do was beat Miami in Miami to get the one seed in the AFC. And the same went for the Jets. Control your own destiny. If the Jets beat Buffalo in Buffalo yesterday, they were in. Win and you're in for both the Patriots and the Jets. Both teams lost. Okay? Both teams lost. And um, when that happened, and let's let's stick with the, the Jets for a minute in the wild card spot. When that happens, you then have to look to Pittsburgh. Because if Pittsburgh, you're saying, well, Pittsburgh beats Cleveland, then Pittsburgh's in if the Jets lose. Jets lost. Fitzpatrick turned the ball over like crazy uh, yesterday late in this game. And so the Jets blow it after beating the Patriots the week before. I mean, I don't know how that happens, but it happened. They lost, and Pittsburgh beat Cleveland, which means Pittsburgh gets into the playoffs as the sixth seed. The Jets are out of it. And then because the Patriots lost to Miami, you're then looking at the 430 game going, all right, Denver at home against the Chargers. Now the Chargers put up a fight early, and um, to the point where... The Broncos changed quarterbacks. They put Peyton Manning into the game. Yes, Peyton Manning has returned to the Broncos. And it was, it, look, I'm not going to sit here and praise Peyton Manning for the way he threw the ball in this game yesterday because there's really, he really didn't. Like, we're not going to praise him for something he didn't do. But even the biggest Peyton Manning haters like us here in New England we got to acknowledge something here. I mean, we got to acknowledge, if you watch this game, it is very clear that Peyton Manning came into that game yesterday and created a spark for a team that was basically begging for a veteran leader as their quarterback. I mean, they were, right? I, look, I don't like Peyton Manning. I really don't. But I respect him. I acknowledge what he's been able to do in his career. And we'll get, we'll get into the, some of the other stories that involve Peyton Manning and some things that were said over the weekend, or should I say some things that were just not said and not acknowledged over the weekend. We'll get into that. Um, but Peyton Manning yesterday comes into this game, and I know he came in and, and he handed the ball off, and they started running all over the charges, and they ran it into the end zone, not once, not twice, but the third time after the first two times were reversed uh, because they were reviewed, and the running back's knee was down before uh, the ball crossed the goal line. Um, they get it in the third time. And I know Peyton Manning, it was really about the run game when he came in. And, and people say, well, you shouldn't praise him for throwing the football because he didn't throw the football. And you're right. But I think you do need to praise Peyton Manning for a couple things. One, he absolutely got that crowd fight up. Even though when Peyton Manning's on the offense, he wants them to simmer down now. Yeah, he tells them to shut up. But you, you get the point. They were fired up when he came in. I think the team was fired up. I think he definitely created a spark. But more than anything, it was very clear. And they pointed out during the broadcast. And I know that they don't point out many things anymore during that broadcast with Nance and Sims uh, that, that, that you want to listen to. They don't, they don't do that much anymore these days. But they, you know, they were pointing out one thing, which was Brock Osweiler was not really picking up the blitzes. And it was turnover city for Denver in this game. And um, the Broncos needed to, they needed to stop turning the football over. And they needed somebody on the center that was going to maybe prevent some of the pressure coming to the quarterback. And it doesn't always have to do with the offensive line. A lot of times it does, but it doesn't always. As a quarterback, 
you need to be able to read the defense, to read the potential blitz, to change the play on the fly, to call an audible, right? Um, and Peyton Manning has been so good at that over the years. He's been so good at that. Brock Osweiler wasn't doing it. When you brought in Peyton Manning, he, he automatically reads a blitz, he changes the play, and it was a run play to the opposite side. And it was a huge, just a big run, a big run up the left side of the field. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm sitting there going, uh-oh. Now, for a couple reasons. One, I really do feel that the Broncos are a more dangerous team with Peyton Manning under center. No, and I'm not even sitting there talking about his arm. I'm just talking about the value that that his experience provides in situations like that. And look, I, we can hate on Peyton all we want. Again, I just think we need, I'm going to give him some credit. I, maybe you don't. I can't make you do anything. Right? I can't make you do anything. But I'm going to give him credit for coming into that game yesterday, not just providing a spark because he was a reliable vet, but also for having the experience and knowledge to be able to read another team's defense, change the play, see a blitz, know that, all right, what we have planned, the play that we have picked, it's not going to work here. So we just can't run it and hope that everything's okay and hope that we get the blocks down on time. Why don't we just change the fucking play? And that's what Peyton Manning did. And it worked out for Denver. Not just to the point where they win the game, but also because the Patriots lost, it got Denver the one seed in the AFC and home field advantage throughout the playoffs in their conference. And it knocks the Patriots down to the two seed. Because even though the Patriots lost to Miami, it didn't automatically mean the Patriots were falling out of that one seed. If San Diego beat Denver... The Patriots are still the one seed, but because the Patriots lost and Denver won, because of Peyton Manning coming into that game, well, the Broncos are now the one seed in the AFC. So here's how the AFC looks. Broncos the one seed at 12-4. and four. Patriots the two seed at 12-4. and four. They'll get the first round buys. Uh, in the wild card, the Bengals are the three seed. Uh, they will host the Pittsburgh Steelers because the Steelers get in because they won and the Jets lost. And the four seed Houston Texans, they win their division. They will host the Kansas City Chiefs, who began the season, what, one and five? And here they are now at 11 and five. Kansas City at 11 and five. Uh, they had a chance yesterday. I think, you know, you're looking at Denver. If Denver had lost and Kansas City won, Kansas City would have won the division and, and got a home playoff game. Now they have to go to Houston. And I'll get into the Patriots' loss against Miami. I'll get into, you know, the Peyton Manning stuff and the HGH stuff that that's still going on, at least in my world, is still going on. Not necessarily in ESPN, NBC, uh, or even CBS's world, and I have a just unbelievable quote from Jim Nance that he gave yesterday with Mike Francesa, which is just, it, it's absolutely hysterical. But um, real quick here, as someone like myself who's a Patriot fan, and I have them on my radar and what the road to the Super Bowl may be, uh, you're looking at that Cincy-Pittsburgh game. Well, first, you got to look at the schedule. Because Wild Card Weekend is next weekend, and here's how it plays out. Saturday night at 4.30, Kansas City plays Houston. Kansas City goes to Houston, the Chiefs and the Texans. That's 4.30 on ESPN and ABC. 
Um, and then also on Saturday, so you get the two AFC games on Saturday, next Saturday, this coming Saturday, Kansas city at Houston at four thirty-five, and Pittsburgh at Cincinnati at eight fifteen. that's on CBS. So here's the deal. If Pittsburgh, the six seed, if they beat Cincinnati, if they beat Cincinnati Saturday night, Pittsburgh automatically goes to Denver. They automatically go to Denver in the divisional round, which means the Patriots would host the winner of Kansas City and Houston. Um, Me personally, you know, the easier matchup for the Patriots is the team they just beat a couple weeks ago, the Houston Texans. I I would rather face Houston at Gillette Stadium. Um, Kansas City, look, I, I... there's a reason why I mean you don't just you don't just win 10 straight games to close out the season and have it be a fluke. You don't. Uh, you you there's a reason why Kansas City continues to win. And in fact, I, I look at Alex Smith and his career and his skill level and if you if they're going to be able to protect Alex Smith in the pocket, Alex Smith is is a quarterback that can win. He's won playoff games. He has won playoff games with his arm, with his legs, with his arm, and his legs. You go back to the year, that the, uh, what, 2011, and, you know, the Giants, we know what happened. They beat San Fran in the NFC Championship. Giants go play the Patriots, uh, beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, we know. I don't mean to remind you of that. I'm just trying to give you the history of going back to that NFC Championship game that the Giants won. Giants only won that game because, remember the 49ers Kick returner, punt returner. Was it Kyle Williams? I want to say his name was. He fumbled two kicks. Special teams, fumbles. He fumbled two, I believe. And that was a difference. But the playoff games leading up to that, Alex Smith took that 49ers team on his back. And they beat the New Orleans Saints. Remember in that shootout? It was Alex Smith versus Drew Brees. They both kept answering each other. Back and forth. Alex Smith got the best of Drew Brees in that game. And if we're calling Drew Brees an elite quarterback, a Super Bowl champion winning quarterback, um, he got beat in a playoff game by Alex Smith, by an Alex Smith-led team. So when I look at Alex Smith, I think he's a dangerous quarterback. And I'd rather face a Brian Hoyer or a TJ Yates or whoever the hell Houston's going to put under center at Gillette Stadium. I would much rather face that type of quarterback than Alex Smith. I really would. Um, So I'll be rooting for Houston, but the Patriots will host either Kansas City or Houston if Pittsburgh beats Cincinnati in Cincinnati. We'll keep an eye on the Bengals quarterback situation. Andy Dalton, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Will it be A.J. McCarron? Put it this way. Uh, they're saying Andy Dalton's optimistic. I don't know. I don't know how optimistic it'll be. And if he does return, it's a broken thumb on the throwing hand. How good is he going to be? I, I So I don't know that I'd be putting my money on Cincinnati in that one. But let's say the Bengals win it at home. Let's say the Bengals win. If that happens, Cincinnati beats Pittsburgh. If Cincinnati beats Pittsburgh, then the Patriots will be playing Cincinnati. And um, that is a much tougher game than either Kansas City or Houston, in my opinion. And that's without knowing who their quarterback's going to be. Since he's got plenty of offensive weapons, 
And uh, I look at their defense, and I'm not—I wouldn't say I'm scared of Cincinnati's defense, but I think they've put together a defense that can make the plays to win a playoff game on the road. I, I, I just think that Cincinnati, if we're going to rank them in terms of who are you scared of most, Cincinnati is on the top of the list. But um, you know, I, I, right now the Bengals are a three-point dog. At home, I think that's because of the quarterback situation, maybe. Um, If I had to pick who's going to win this game, I mean, I'd be leaning towards Pittsburgh. Not going to make my picks yet, but I'd be leaning towards Pittsburgh, which would mean the Patriots would host the winner of either Kansas City or Houston, and Pittsburgh would be going to Denver. But uh, if Cincinnati wins that game, that means the Patriots will have to what? They'll, They'll have to beat Cincinnati and then go to Denver. Here's the deal. I think the Patriots are going to Denver for the AFC Championship. I mean, that game if Denver's in it still, that game's in Denver. Who's going? I think the Patriots will be going. Um, I, I just, I think it's inevitable. I think it's inevitable. That's the game we're going to get. The Denver Broncos, the New England Patriots in Denver, Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady, the matchup that we didn't get in Denver a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, on that Sunday night football game after Thanksgiving. Uh, we got Brock Osweiler. We got some terrible officiating in that one. We got some awful special teams play from the Patriots. It was, we got a Gronk injury. It was a nightmare scenario that night in Denver. Peyton Manning did not play. I think it's inevitable. We're going to see that game. Patriots, Broncos, AFC Championship in Denver. And, um, you know, the people that the people that think Peyton Manning can't take the Broncos there, I, I think they don't want Peyton to take the Broncos there. I think they don't want him to have success. So I think that plays into the, their opinion on that a little bit uh, more than realistically you look at it. I mean, come on. The Broncos have a defense that's one of the tops in the National Football League. And to go along with a quarterback, look, if if Peyton Manning isn't turning the ball over, and I know he he very well could, but I think if they do some things offensively and figure out a way to use that run game to go along with one of the top defenses and to go along with having a home playoff game in the divisional round, I really don't think it's crazy to, to believe that Denver could go to the AFC Championship with Peyton Manning on the center. I I don't think that is a crazy idea. And let's face it, all they got to do is win the divisional game to get there. All they got to do is win that one game. And it's either going to be against Pittsburgh, Kansas City, or Houston. And even if it's against Pittsburgh, which would be the more difficult matchup between those three teams, I still think a Peyton Manning-led Broncos team uh, will beat the Steelers because it is in Denver. So I do think the Broncos are going to go to the AFC Championship. I do think they're going to be playing the Patriots. Now the Patriots, their issues um, are injury-related. Knee-jerk reactions. We question Belichick. We question the coaching staff. I know that I have criticized Belichick and the coaching staff for the way they handled the Jets game. 
I, I think that's I think that's deserved, though. I think that's well-deserved. I, I don't think the coaching staff for the Patriots handled that game very well, from McDaniels to Belichick. I, I don't think they did. I think they deserve to get criticized for that loss to the Jets two weeks ago. I've criticized the Patriots coaching staff for that loss against the Eagles, in which I say Belichick basically outcoached himself in that loss. I, I, I think the Patriots deserved criticism. Their coaching staff deserved criticism. Um, in this game against Miami yesterday, against the Dolphins, in a 20-10 to 10 loss to the Miami Dolphins, knee-jerk reaction, blame the coaching staff because the game plan sucked. You know, I'm sitting there on my couch watching this with my father, and we could not understand for the life of us what the hell the Patriots coaching staff was thinking in the first half when they said to themselves, all we're going to do is run, 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 run. That's all we're going to do. You know, we're trying to figure out what the game plan was because at the time of that game yesterday in Miami, the Patriots still had an opportunity to take care of their own business, which was get the one seed in the AFC, all right? Get the one seed in the AFC. And when you get the one seed in the AFC, if you have to play Peyton Manning and the Broncos, that happens at Gillette. And wouldn't you feel a lot more comfortable not to say the Patriots can't go into Denver and win? I think they can. But wouldn't you rather have that? Wouldn't you feel more comfortable if that game was at Gillette Stadium? Right? I know I would. I know I would. And um, you had a chance to get that with a win in Miami against a Dolphins team going into that game that only had five wins. Against a Dolphins team that... I thought was going to have half their roster one foot out the door on their way to the airport. We talked about this game um, on on Thursday morning on WEI, myself and Andy Hart, when I filled in for Dennis and Callahan and, and Kirk Minahan. We filled in for those guys. And, uh, you know, I told you this was going to be a blowout. I told you the Patriots are going to blow out the Dolphins. And I told you they were going to do it in the first half. Now, if you had told me that the Patriots' strategy in this first half was what it actually was, then I'd, I'd say, okay, I would have never predicted a blowout because I would have never predicted that the Patriots would just run the football in the first half. And at the time that it's happening, in the hours after the game, and when you see Denver win, all you can do is sit there and say, man, this coaching staff, it's just once again, just a game plan that I do not understand, right? That's one thought. The other thought is, I really hope Tom Brady is okay. Now, the news today is that Tom Brady has had an MRI on the ankle. He took a couple ugly hits in this one. The ugliest from Ndamukong Sue, uh, where he sort of falls on that ankle, and we've seen these type of injuries before. They do not look good. But MRI, the reports are no break, no fracture, just an ankle sprain for Tom Brady. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily good news. The good news would be... Um, you know, just a little swelling. You put some ice on that bad boy and he's going to be 100% in two weeks in the divisional round. I don't know that an ankle sprain is good news, but it certainly is better news than a break or a fracture that would require Jimmy Garoppolo to play in, in a game, which would basically end the season. You know, for all these talks that we have about, well, who's the most valuable guy? Well, is Edelman the most valuable guy? Is Gronk the most valuable guy on this team? Was Deion Lewis the most valuable guy? For all the talks that we had about this Patriots team and the injuries and who you couldn't afford to lose and who you could afford to lose, let's let's all agree on one thing. 
If the Patriots lose Tom Brady, they do not win shit, okay? They don't win anything. Uh, I'm pretty confident in saying that to the point where I don't even know that I'd be able to watch, to be honest. So when Brady takes those hits yesterday, you look at it going, holy shit, no, what, please get up. Because it is very rare, I will say this. I don't think the hit scared me. What scared me was after the hit, like five, six seconds later, Tom Brady, it's one thing to have like an initial reaction like, oh, that hurt. But then you get up, you shake it off, you look over to the sideline, you get a play call coming in. Brady was hunching over in pain. You don't see him react like that. So you know he was hurt. And when he reacted like that, I I put I literally put my hands over my face and I said, oh no, this cannot happen. This cannot happen. Uh, we cannot lose Tom Brady. But okay, the MRI today, like he finished that game. Well, he didn't finish the game. They took him out with what, two minutes left and put Garoppolo in. Um, but for the most part, he played most of the game. He had an MRI today, reports odd, no fractures, no breaks, Tom Brady, an ankle sprain. He will be ready to go for the playoffs and the divisional round after they get this first round by. But I mean, you know, after the game, you're hoping Brady's okay, but you're also questioning the coaching staff. You're questioning Belichick again because it's something that we've done here the last couple of weeks. Look, the Patriots are going into the playoffs. They're limping. They're limping in. They've lost four of their last six. They've lost now their last two. They lost to the Jets. They've lost to the Dolphins. And when you look at how they lost yesterday, given the fact that the number one seed was still at at stake, and it turns out you end up losing that one seed, and that, that AFC championship game at home, you don't have that at home anymore. When you look at everything that was at stake and how the first half played out, your frustration level, at least mine, was through the roof. And you just take everything in from the last couple weeks, and the coaching staff looks, you know, they're, they're to blame. But... Take a couple steps back. Take a couple deep breaths. Look, I'm not I, I, I'm not stepping away from my criticisms of the coaching staff in the Jets game. They deserve to get criticized. Coaching staff was bad in that game. I'm not backing away from uh, backing off of my criticisms from the Patriots coaching staff in that Eagles game. They deserve to get criticized. But this one against the Dolphins, the first half, here's what I think they did. As I look, I watch this again, I think about it, I see it all play out. Yeah, I hear everybody's opinions, this, that, the other thing. Here's mine. Here's what happened yesterday, in my opinion. The Patriots know they're banged up. You look at their inactives list for this game. They don't have Chandler Jones. They don't have Dante Hightower. They don't have Julian Edelman. They did not have Sebastian Vollma, and there were a couple other guys they did not have. And there were some guys they had that were playing banged up already. All right? You come into this game. You look at Miami. You think, you know what, if we, play a, if we play a solid defensive game, regardless of what we do offensively, if we don't put up big numbers offensively, we might not need to to win this game. We think we can win this game with some defense. We really do. So what they said to themselves was, on top of that, the fact that our offensive line has been awful. It was awful in the Jets game. It's been awful the last couple of weeks. Brady's been taking so many hits. And you look at the guys they have up front uh, that are just going to be feast, trying to feast on this quarterback and try to feast on getting to the quarterback and hitting him hard. What we're going to do in this first half is we might as well take advantage of trying to run the football. Let's try to run. And if we're going to focus on the run, why don't we look at it this way? 
we just picked up Steven Jackson. We want to see what he is before we get to the playoffs, all right? What is Steven Jackson? We don't know that yet, but we'd like to know. Because here's what we need. We need to know. We need to know if he's going to be similar to the big body back that LeGarrette Blunt was because we lost him for the year. Or is he going to be one of these guys that, all right, he's big, he's strong, but he lost a couple steps, and at the end of the day, he just isn't worth it for us giving him reps in a postseason game. Like, we need to figure that out, all right? And to go along with those other things, like we think our defense can win this game for us, and our offensive line has been brutal. And, you know, some people say, well, if the offensive line's bad, what makes you think running the football is going to help? Well, put it this way. You'd, you'd rather try to figure it out that way, run the football with a bad defensive line, than have your quarterback, you know, just basically feeding your quarterback to the dogs all game, right? Well, if you're going to throw the football, do it in the second half, in Miami, warmer weather, their defense gets tired. You know, we make halftime adjustments. We see which ways they're coming in after the quarterback. We can then put guys on some, um, you know, to pick up some blitzes. We can make our halftime adjustments at the offensive line. And if we need to throw the football in the second half, we will upon making those adjustments at the half. But in the first half, let's run the football because we need to see what Steven Jackson is. All right? And that's exactly what they did. And they also gave it a Brandon Bolden. But I think for the most part, this was, you know, a tryout, an open tryout in front of the league for Steven Jackson. What do you got, big dog? Steven Jackson, 14 carries in this game, 35 yards, had a touchdown. Um, his longest rush was for six yards. But when you look at a couple of those runs, I thought in the first half, he did move the chains a couple times. And he, he was able to get the yardage that they needed to pick up the first down. He put his head down. He ran hard. I don't know that I don't know that the Patriots leave that game and look at Steven Jackson's performance and say, hey, he's gonna be able to give us everything that LeGarrette Blunt gave us. But I certainly think they leave that game saying to themselves, Steven Jackson can be valuable to us in the playoffs. If we need a big body back to either move the chains and pick up a couple yards or pound it into that end zone, right? Pound it into that end zone. In a cold football game, in January, in the fourth quarter, for a defense that's banged up, that's tired, that does not want to have to tackle Steven Jackson at the end of a game. I think they got their answer on Steven Jackson, and I think it was, all right, he's not going to be a superstar for us, but he's going to be valuable. I think he proved that. I think he proved to be a valuable piece for this team moving forward. I really do. And... um. So I, I think they answered that question in the first half, all right? And I think that was part of their strategy. Second half, you throw the football. It's very clear why they decided not to throw the football all game long because they just could not protect Tom Brady. And the scariest part of this Patriots team, to me, on this Monday, January 4th, as we head into the playoffs, as the Patriots get a first round by, as the reigning, defending Super Bowl champions. The biggest thing that scares me is that the last four to six games have reminded me way too much of the first four games of last year's regular season. Okay, now there's good and there's bad to that. What do you want first? I'll give you the, I'll give you the bad. <laughs> the bad first was 
it, it's all it's all about the offensive line. That's what really reminds me. These last four to six games of this year's regular season, in which the Patriots have lost four of those last six, they've reminded me, and really to get more descriptive, the Patriots' offensive line has reminded me all too much of the first four games of last year's regular season in which the Patriots' offensive line was as bad as you could be where Tom Brady's seeing ghosts, where Tom Brady's taking hits, where, yes, you were 2-2 two and two in those first four games last year, but it didn't feel like they were 2-2. Two and two. It felt like more of a 1-3 and three, or even an 0-4, to be honest. Um, it, you just didn't feel good. They had two wins. They were 500. Everybody and their mother was, was calling out the Patriots saying they just don't have it anymore. Trent Dilfer said, look, this Patriots team just isn't good anymore. And in fairness to Trent Dilfer, the Patriots, they, they had major issues. They looked terrible. And again, their two and two record the first four games of last season. It felt like one and three, maybe even 0 and four. That's how it felt. Think back to that, how you felt at, at, with those games. That that's really how it felt, but um, that, so that's the bad, and that's a that's a bad issue to have. They they're struggling with protecting Tom Brady right now. Uh, the good with that is the Patriots last year proved that with a little bit of blocking up front, and a couple adjustments on that O line, and a little bit more communication, if you can protect Tom Brady, you will once again have success. Don't don't forget. The very next game after that Kansas City game, they whooped the Cincinnati Bengals on national TV at Gillette Stadium. Right? They did. They whooped them. And uh, they proved that if you're going to protect Tom Brady, Tom Brady's going to be able to throw the football. Now, yesterday in Miami, the week before against the Jets in New York, the Patriots could not protect Tom Brady. Tom Brady could not throw the football. The good part about the comparison that I just made about the last four to six games for this Patriots team and the first four games of the Patriots to begin last season, the good part of it is the Patriots have proven they can fix those issues up front. And when they fix those issues up front, it's a completely different team offensively. To the point, all of a sudden, we're talking about how many weapons Brady does have. The reason... So that's one thing that, that, you know, that scares me how they look now and protecting Brady. But the reason I guess I'm not really frightened and I'm not really sweating going into the playoffs and I'm not really believing that they're limping in. While it looks like they're limping in, deep down inside, I'm not really believing they're limping in because we know who's coming back. Julian Edelman's coming back, right? And that is. And for all this talk about Gronk and and who's valuable, who's not valuable, when you just look around the league, just watch other games. Like, it was driving me crazy yesterday watching San Diego. And I look, I can't imagine what it's like having a roof of Phillip Rivers every Sunday. Cannot imagine having to put my um, trust in that quarterback every single weekend to make plays. But in fairness to Phillip Rivers... It doesn't look like he has any type of slot receiver that's reliable or that he trusts. It doesn't. He has Antonio Gates, and Gates is older. He's banged up this season. Um, He's not the same guy. It just, when you look at when Julian Edelman's playing, 
and how reliable he has become to Tom Brady and how much confidence Brady has to where he's going to be and the routes he's going to run. He knows where he's going to end the route. He knows where he's turning. He knows everything. They know each other so well and trust each other so well that it really is the biggest difference maker for the Patriots, especially on third downs. Especially on third downs. But you look around the league, and teams that don't have that guy, that slot receiver, that is so valuable and, and so trustworthy, they struggle to move the chains. To the point where it's a frustrating football game to watch. You need that player. Like, I'm not trying to take anything away from Gronk. But as I watch this Patriots team struggle with offensive line issues, the only thing that I can say to myself is, man, when you know, if you're going to have O-line issues and you had Edelman on the field, you'd be able to get the ball out quicker and you'd be able to move the chains a whole lot more than you're moving them right now. You would. And you would actually trust the pass game on top of it a whole lot more than you did yesterday in that first half against Miami. A game in which there was still something at stake. A number one seed in the AFC if you win. Uh, but, you, you, you know, they're going to get Edelman back, all right? Um, and on top of that, Sebastian Volma, offensive line, they're saying he's going to be back for the playoffs. And then defensively. Let's not forget yesterday that defensively, you know, the trust that the Patriots seemingly had in their defense to go out and win that game for them yesterday, they let up 20 points. Ryan Tannehill was sacked once. And Ninkovich is playing banged up. You don't have Hightower. You don't have Chandler Jones in this game. And Chandler Jones has been somebody that's been able to get to the quarterback this season. You add him to the mix with Hightower, I mean... You're you're bringing back pieces when you get to the playoffs that will really help this team and will really make them look like a whole different group. It really will. It's going to make all the difference in the world. But right now, the focus is on protecting Tom Brady. And uh, they need to figure that one out. The bad news, they haven't been able to figure that out the last four to six weeks. The good news... What we've seen from Bill Belichick teams in the past, even with some guys in this group, uh, they have been able to figure it out, even after a stretch of bad games and bad performances in which you're looking at it going, are they ever going to figure this out? Um, but they can. They've proven they can. And when you add on, to the, when you add on that, they're going to get these pieces back. Edelman's, uh, Chandler Jones, Hightower, Sebastian Vollmer. This is going to look like a different group in the playoffs. Sure, perfect world. You'd love to have those guys in Week 17 roll through the Dolphins in a first half, clinch the first round by, go into the playoffs feeling good about yourself, not having Tom Brady banged up. Um, yeah, in a perfect world, you'd like that to happen. But it's not a perfect world. And if you want to look at this thing in a glass-half-full approach, it's that they're going to get pieces back, and the problems they have that are up front, which are blocking issues, those can be fixed. Even with current personnel, they can be fixed. We've seen it. it, it they've proven it. And if you can fix that, and you give Tom Brady time, and you bring some of his weapons back, and then on the defensive end, you can get a weapon back like Chandler Jones to get to other teams' quarterbacks, 
all of a sudden you got a QB that's making big plays, that's not turning the ball over, that's getting protection, and a defense that is using their guys up front to put pressure on a quarterback that's going to help their secondary and that's going to get this Patriots team back to the AFC Championship and, in my opinion, back to a Super Bowl. All right? So that's my analysis of what I saw yesterday. That's how I break it down a day later. Uh, haven't, you know, taken a look at the playoff picture, but um, later in the week, I'll make my picks for the wild card round, which again begins on Saturday night. We got two games, 4.30, Kansas City in Houston. Then at 8.15 on Saturday night, we got Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Sunday at 1 o'clock, we got Seattle at Minnesota. Now that's weird because that game's on NBC which I just figured NBC was going to get maybe the Pittsburgh-Cincy game on Saturday night, but that's not going to be the case. NBC is going to get Seattle at Minnesota Sunday at 1, and then Sunday at 440, 4.40, Green Bay at Washington on Fox. So uh, I will make picks later in the week. If you look at the spreads right now, out of those four wildcard games, there's only one home team that's a favorite. In the other three games, the road team is a favorite and the home team is an underdog. So the one game in which the home team is the favorite, the Washington Redskins are one-and-a-half-point favorite over the Packers. The Vikings are a six-and-a-half-point dog at home against Seattle. The Bengals are a three-point dog at home against Pittsburgh. And the Texans are a three-and-a-half-point dog at home against Kansas City. So some interesting spreads. I'll make my picks uh, later on this week, and uh, when I look back at my regular season picks, a segment I call Picks Picks, I went 3-2 and two in Week 17. I got the Patriots wrong. I had Patriots minus 10. I got that wrong. I got the Packers minus 3.5 wrong. Um, they lost to Minnesota last night in Green Bay. The games I got right, I got the Saints plus 4 over the Falcons. Um, I got that right. Saints beat the Falcons 20-17, to so I took the Saints plus four. Saints win. Uh, I got the Raiders right, plus seven over the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs won that game, but the Raiders still covered. Uh, they only lost by six, so I won that. And then I won Seahawks plus seven over the Cardinals in Arizona. Now, technically, I can take credit for it because I picked Seattle plus seven, but if you heard my reasoning, I thought Arizona was going to win this game, but I just thought it would be close to the point where I'd, it would be maybe a three-point game and Seattle would lose the game but still cover. Um, but, hey, I go 3-2, and two, which means my final record in the regular season through 17 weeks for picks, picks, 41-43-1, 41 wins, 43 losses, and one push. But picks, picks will continue throughout the playoffs. Uh, so make sure you tune in every single weekday. I'll make my picks for the wild card round on Friday, like I do every Friday. And once again, don't forget, tomorrow on this podcast, Red Sox, Boston Red Sox general manager, Mike Hazen, will join me. Um, what else we got in the NFL? Well, I mean, I don't, look, I, I'm not ignoring the Peyton Manning story, right? Now that we're past the the playoff stuff and uh, the playoff implications and the playoff schedule and the spreads and the brackets, uh, we can get into some of the other NFL stuff. And while you could turn on ESPN today or NBC or whatever it may be, NBC Sports, you name it, 
nationally televised stuff. You turn it on over the weekend. Nobody is talking about Peyton Manning and this Al Jazeera report that links him to a clinic that is dishing out HGH, a clinic that is dished out HGH to Peyton Manning's home. Now, it's it reportedly went to his wife, Ashley Manning, but still, there's a connection. This is a story. I haven't been ignoring it. If you listen to this podcast last week, I went, I jumped all over the story. And um, if you listen to me on WEI the other morning, Thursday morning, I we were all over the story. And even today, even after yesterday, when Al Jazeera reported Deborah Davies, she was on CNN and she confirmed that there is a second source. That's right. She said that there is a second confidential source that confirmed HGH was sent to Peyton Manning's house. The reporter for Al Jazeera, she came out and she said, look, there is, I have a second source that confirms this on CNN. Yet nobody in the NFL wants to pick it up. If you go to ESPN today, all they're talking about, at least at the time that I'm recording this podcast on this late Monday morning, uh, the only thing that, the only NFL news they're talking about are all the coaching changes to go along with the playoff stuff, of course. But I'm saying outside of the playoff stuff, what else are they talking about? Coaching changes. And, and you know, how much do you want to get into those right now? It's crazy. It's Black Monday in the NFL. I will just say this. Um, if there's one guy I don't think should lose his job. One guy. Uh, two guys. I'll say two. Chuck Pagano and Jason Garrett. When your quarterbacks go down and get hurt, I'm sorry. I, what are you What are you going to do? You're going to fire the coach? No. If you're going to bring back those quarterbacks next year, bring them back. If they don't do anything with those QBs next year and you don't get to the playoffs, then you get rid of those coaches. I mean, I think we're getting a little crazy. The Pagano stuff, Andrew Luck was down and out most of the season. And anything about Jason Garrett, Tony Romo was out most of the season. I mean, come on. You can't fire those guys. But I don't want to sit here and spend too much time on coaching changes in the NFL. The biggest story, what they should be talking about, if they are going to venture down the road of non-playoff stuff, non-playoff storylines, well, how about Peyton Manning? Again, the Al Jazeera reporter confirmed yesterday on CNN that she has a credible second source confirming HGH was sent to Peyton Manning's house, but yet nobody wants to talk about, and it is downright laughable. In fact, here's Jim Nance. I, get, I told you I get a quote from Jim Nance. He was joining Mike Francesa, WFAN, yesterday, and Francesa said that, you know, he brought it up, and he wanted to, he was wondering if they were going to talk about it during the broadcast, because they did the San Diego Broncos game, and Peyton Manning was in the news, as I told you, he came back into this game, and now is once again taken over as quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Francesa asked Jim Nance, if before the game, if he and Phil Simms would discuss Al Jazeera's allegations uh, towards Peyton Manning and his family and HGH uh, during the CBS broadcast. And here's the quote from Jim Nance. Quote, no, why would we? If we talk about it, we would only continue to breathe life into a story that on all levels is a non-story. Why add another layer to it? End quote. (laughs) Now, apparently, 
Jim Nance didn't feel the same way about the flakegate. Um, and that's really my only beef here. If you've listened to me about this stuff, look, I've been pretty, I, I don't, I'm not asking for us to put an asterisk next to Peyton Manning's name. I'm not asking to do that. In fact, if I find out that Peyton Manning took HGH or took a PED, I'm not going to sit here and get all riled up about it. I've accepted a professional sports world in which guys take things, use supplements, use um, some type of PED, performance-enhancing drug, whether it's HGH, whether it's uh, steroids, whatever it may be. They use things to get back on the field quicker. They use things to be able to stay in the league longer. They use things to compete at a higher level. A lot of guys do some stuff, and in fact, Peyton Manning's not the only name mentioned in this report, which is why, again, last night on NBC, it's also laughable that you have a game in which Julius Peppers and Clay Matthews are playing, and there are two other names that are on this list that are linked to this Gaia clinic that is dishing out HGH, and they don't bring it up! And, and when the Patriots played on that opener Thursday night against Pittsburgh, there was a legit over-under on how many times Al Michaels would say the word deflategate, and in fact, he purposely acknowledged that he knew what the over-under was, and he said deflategate that many times so that people who bet it would get the over. And I'm sure he had some of his good friends take the over, and they're splitting some of the dough with Al Michaels. He controlled his own his own bet. Um. So, it's not like they were scared off by Deflategate. It's not like some of these guys were looking at Deflategate. The air pressure, a story about the air pressure in a fucking football. It's not like they looked at that and said, well, we're not going to mention it because we would just be, it's a non-story. We'd just be building, you know, building up the non-story and taking it to a new level. Why would, why would we, why would we want to take a non-story and add another layer to it. We're not going to do that. Does anybody remember anybody saying that about Deflategate? No. We're still talking about Deflategate. So, I mean, look, again, I'm not asking for for us to sit here and crucify Peyton Manning, but this idea that we're not going to talk about it is absolutely downright fucking insane on so many levels, considering that these are the same guys who took a story about air pressure in football like it was the end of the world. So, what are we doing here? When is this story going to become a story in the eyes of the national sports media? I've been asking it since last week, and we still don't have it. Peyton Manning's a starting quarterback again. Al Jazeera is on CNN confirming a second source. And you know what? I have people coming to me on Twitter saying, well, the, the reporter denies that, that, you know, she says she didn't accuse Peyton of taking HGH. I mean, you're right. She didn't. She, she comes out, she says, I'm not accusing him. But, she, but, but put that aside for a second. This isn't about that. This is about... A pro athlete who's a superstar, a major name, you can't, uh, you can't turn on the TV without seeing a fucking commercial with the guy in it. This is a major superstar 
in the biggest sport in the world. And what we're doing here is we are linked. They have linked this guy, Peyton Manning, to a clinic that is dishing out HGH. Forget about the fact that the HGH was sent to his house under his wife's name. Put his wife aside for a second. When you have a guy that's working out at a clinic, recovering from neck surgery, that's now been proven to be dishing out PEDs and HGH to professional athletes, also in Major League Baseball and other sports, isn't that a story on its own? Forget about whether or not it was delivered to his house. That's a story on its own merit. That this guy was working there. And, and that's why this has become a thing. And on top of it, what do you want Al Jazeera to do? Find out that they're doing a report on dopening pro sports. They see a clinic, the Gaia clinic that's got HGH, that's dishing it out uh, to, to people, to pro athletes, to, to people illegally. And they find out that Peyton Manning's working out there in 2011, coming back from neck surgery. And then they get the video of this guy saying, what do you want them to do? Not mention it? Well, we'll leave out Peyton Manning's name. That would be bad journalism. All right? For everyone saying it's bad journalism, that would be bad journalism to leave that out. You got, you're doing this report. You've got to mention that. You've got multiple sources now confirming. And believe me, I keep saying it. Al Jazeera's got more in their back pocket. Because the more nobody talks about this, and the more they, the national sports media laughs it off, rolls their eyes, says, this is a non-story, we're not talking about it, we don't trust Al Jazeera, you got Boomer Esiason on the radio today saying, here in Boston saying he doesn't trust Al Jazeera, based on what? What the fuck are you talking about? Go to their website and see some of the stories that they're reporting, you fucking fools! I mean, what? What in the hell are these guys doing? Do they spend, do they have computers? Do they have the internet? Like, and, and this logic that it's a non-story. So we're not gonna do anything to, to make it a story, right? We're not gonna do anything to or say anything to add another layer to the story, says Jim Nance. <laughs> like, this is the same broadcast yesterday that had Phil Sims. Phil Sims legit said what I'm about to say. I, I tweeted this out. I don't, I don't ever really, I don't ever get involved in the Phil Sims bash. And I see it once in a while. I laugh at it. See, the, the way I usually react to how we crush play-by-play guys or call commentators, I roll my eyes because we never like anybody. We don't. We don't like anyone. Nobody. When you hear somebody for so long, nobody likes them. And when they talk bad about your team, nobody likes them. Oh, when they praise the rival a lot, you're not going to like him, even if he's great. Like, for instance, people crush Joe Buck. Here's why I like listening to Joe Buck on Fox call a baseball game. Because I'm used to hearing his voice doing big games. And when I hear Joe Buck's voice, I know it's a big game. So when the Red Sox are playing and Joe Buck is the play-by-play guy for that game, I know it's a big game. It gives me a different feel. Like, forget about the job that Nance and Sims do, all right? They're losing it. It's pretty clear, especially when you hear what I'm about to tell you Phil Sims said yesterday. They're losing it. They're getting older. I assume it happens. Um, But when I hear their voice doing a game, I do consider it a big game. I do. They do usually the game of the week, right? Uh, They're going to be doing the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50. 
it, when I hear someone else doing the game, I'm going, eh, we got the backup crew. Just their voice in general. Forget about the job that they might do. I, it's just To me, it's about vocal recognition. Um, and because of that, I usually don't get involved in the, you know, just the crushing the, the play-by-play guy, the color commentary for, for, for something stupid that he said. I mean, you do so many games a year in your career, you're bound to say some stupid stuff, right? I'm, I'm going to let some of it slide. I'm not going to get too worked up about it. I don't take it all that seriously. To me, it's more about vocal recognition. This guy does big games usually. If he's going to broadcast a game with my team in it, I get a different feel. It feels like a big game here in his voice. That's how I react to it. Yesterday, though, Phil Sims, <laughs> without acknowledging the HGH story at all, um, Phil Sims said that the NFL, he wishes the NFL would eliminate jumping. <laughs> he doesn't want receivers or running backs to be able to jump. And this is so dumb on all levels that, I mean, sometimes I wonder if he even knows anymore that he's watching football. But that's really one of the first times I've ever taken pot in the Phil Sims bashing. But you can't be on a broadcast of an NFL game and try to tell the audience that you wish the sport would ban jumping. That, why don't you just take away the footballs too? <laughs> what else are you going to do? Uh, so that was just ridiculously stupid. But going back to their logic as to why they don't want to talk about this HGH story, it's the complete opposite logic and approach that they all had, the national sports media had, to deflategate. And the more they knock it, and the more they roll their eyes and laugh at it and don't acknowledge it and knock the credibility the more Al Jazeera is going to release new stuff. They have stuff in their back pocket. I'm telling you right now, they're, they're ready. I tweeted yesterday, they're Al Jazeera, Deborah Davies, they have prepared themselves for a 12-round fight. I think they knew they were going to get some type of reaction that wasn't entirely positive. I don't know that they thought they were going to get this much negative reaction from the national media and lack of acknowledgement. And really, look, ESPN, NBC Sports, CBS... They're, they're taking this Al Jazeera report and they're laughing at it. They're not just ignoring it. It's one thing to ignore it and not even answer questions. They are laughing at it. And if you're a reporter and you put a lot of time and effort into something, you take a lot of pride in your work. And I think Al Jazeera, they take so much pride that clearly they've already taken some stuff out of their back pocket. I think they got more. And um, look, this is a story. It needs to be talked about. I'm not asking for us to put an asterisk next to Peyton Manning. And if he did use HGH, I don't care. But based on the precedent, the precedent that they set, they set the precedent, the league, by comparing PEDs to PSIs and the national sports media by making such a big deal out of such a non-issue. And again, I said this last week, all week. If you were to take both issues and just throw them up against the wall, take the names out. One issue is... A quarterback that is having a trainer take air out of a football in a bathroom before a game just to get a better grip on a football. Or the other situation in which an NFL player in his mid to late 30s is trying to return from multiple neck surgeries and decides to take a little HGH at a clinic that he was working out with and he has it sent to his wife instead. The the second story, the HGH story, is much more believable. It is. 
It's so much more believable. It's not even funny. So you add that onto it, and you're like, it's still not a story? Man, it's definitely a story. It, all I'm asking for is acknowledgement, is dialogue, is to be talked about. It's a fucking story, people. I've tried to make it one. The more they don't, the more pissed off I get. Not at Peyton, at the media. But uh, so far, they're not, uh, they're not budging. So I, I, I think it's just good. It's just going to take Al Jazeera to keep releasing some more stuff on it. And you know they're going to try. If they don't have anything in their back pocket anymore, if they've released it all, you know they're going to try to get more. You know they're going to. I think they get some other stuff ready to be released though. But we'll keep an eye on it. Whatever happens, uh, I will certainly react to it. Right? I'm not, again, not putting an asterisk next to Peyton Manning's name. Not asking him to be suspended for the playoffs. Just, it's a story. That's all. It's a story. So, um, and now, if you're listening to me right now, uh, I don't know if you could tell, I got a little bit of a cold. Not just because the studio today is, what? like, what's going on? It's 20 degrees here in Boston. We get some light flurries outside. But, you know, last week we had a little, a little portable heating system in here that, that they, the boys at Beantown gave me. They seemingly have ripped that away from me. Apparently they thought I was getting too much heat. So when I closed the door here at Beantown, they got all the heat in the world back there. I got nothing. Uh, I'm freezing. But I'll tell you what, it's not as cold as the Winter Classic. And I did go. I went to the Winter Classic on Friday. On New Year's Day, Bruins Canadiens at Gillette Stadium. Um, I knocked the venue, and people said, "Oh, you're gonna go after you knock the venue?" Well, I knocked the venue because one, me personally, I'm just not a big fan of Gillette Stadium for a football game. Um, and two, I just really it's mostly about me liking Fenway a whole lot more. And I I told you that even though they had the Winter Classic at Fenway already. Not everybody got to go to that. And I just thought that was so cool that they should have it there again, especially now that it's against Montreal and you have it in the city of Boston. Like, you got to, to drive from downtown Boston to Gillette Stadium, especially with traffic and when there's a game of any sort, you know, you got to plan a good hour-long commute, right? So I can only imagine what it's like for somebody from Montreal who's a Canadiens fan who came to New England, who came to Boston to watch this one a classic. And, you know, they stay in downtown Boston because that's what you do, right? I mean, right? It's like, you're from Montreal. You're going to come the Winter Classic, Bruins, Canadians. You're going to stay in downtown Boston. You are. Christmas, New Year's, you stay downtown. You're going to, then, New Year's Day, you got to make a trip. You got to jump onto the highway, get off one exit, get off another exit, Wait on a, 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 a two-lane road for 45 minutes uh, to get into your parking lot to tailgate. You, you must be wondering if you have no acknowledgement of how far Foxborough is from Boston. You must be like, what is going on as you're making that trip from downtown to Gillette Stadium? Uh, the, the, the distance that there is between the two stadiums where you could have just had it at Fenway and said, hey, we're in Boston. We're downtown. You know, we know we had it here before, but Fenway's a much more special place anyways. Basically, they did it at Gillette Stadium because it's about money. What's its seat? 
35, 40,000 more people. I'm just taking a shot in the dark here. I think it's something close to that. So you got more people into the building. Uh, it's always cool to have a rink outside. So you look, it, it was a cool setting. There's no question. Now, I didn't, I didn't have great seats with regards to a view, but beggars can't be choosers. Um, buddy of mine offered me a ticket last minute. I said, sure, I'll go down. Let's go tailgate. We had other friends there. Met up with them after. Tailgated even more. Uh, had a good time. Had a good time. But the Bruins didn't show up, one. Uh, two, I watched it. Caught a cold. Said to myself, I still think that this game should have been at Fenway. Even though it looked cool at Gillette, I, even though they got more people in, it should have been at Fenway. I was even at the game... You know, call, call me spoiled, getting a ticket last minute, but uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to go. Not everybody got to go, and, and I did enjoy myself, but I'm not backing off my initial statements, and I said the same thing at the time. This game should be at Fenway. Now, get into the game itself. The Bruins didn't show up at all in that one, and they lost to Montreal. The most exciting part of the Winter Classic festivities was the night before. Right? The night before, they had the Legends game, the alumni game. And those jerseys that the Bruins wore in that game, the Ray Bork, Cam Neely, Reggie Lemlin, Andy Moog jerseys, those are the jerseys. They wore them in that Legends game. The Bruins need to go back to those jerseys. I've said it many times. I said they sh- the Bruins should have worn those jerseys on New Year's Day. They didn't. They dropped the ball that. Seeing the Legends wear them, the Bruins need to go back to that full time. That's the best jersey they've ever had. Now, they could even take the new spoked B, it's a little newer looking, and they could put it on that jersey. I think it would look phenomenal. Um, I think it would look great. I think they should do it. But the night before that Legends game, that alumni game, that was awesome. Ray Bork sealing the deal with a goal in the shootout. One of the funnier moments was Kovalev sniping on Reggie Lemlin. What is Lemlin? Like 75? He was in that for the Bruins in, what, 80? 88, they get to the cup final against Edmonton. Lemlin's one of the old, he's one of those old school goalies. Like later on in this game, they threw in Raycroft and Jose Theodore. I mean, those guys played against each other in like 2004, right? So they were taking some big time shots off them. They all are used to the big equipment. They're more of the new school goalies. Reggie Lemlin is your prototypical old school. I don't really go down on my pads. I just sort of kick my legs out <laughs> at pucks that are low. Um, Kovalev comes up the left wing in the first period and just puts one on net and Lemlin doesn't even know how to react to it. And uh, it goes in. That was one of the more humorous moments of the game, but it's just so cool to see, you know, the old Bruins out there, Bork. Though nearly, I didn't, I think he got one shift maybe, even if that. You know, Don Sweeney. Um... Just a, just a lot of the old guys. Chris Nyland played for the Canadians. Chris Nyland's been a guest on the show a couple times. Uh, you know, you just got it. Reggie Lemlin was in there. You got a lot of the old school guys in this game. Steve Hines. Then the line that they probably should have signed for the game the next day was Sergei Samsonov, Marco Sturm, and Mark Recchi. I mean... That line, it looked like could could have done a better job than any of the lines the Bruins threw out uh, in the Winter Classic. Now, of course, the Bruins roster was shaky because Krejci's hurt. Marshan's been suspended. So they had their issues. But uh, still, no excuses to no-show in that one where you're hosting the event. They no-showed. 
the Bruins legends didn't no show though the night before. So that was really uh, the coolest moment of the weekend. So uh, that was the Winter Classic. I did enjoy it, but I still think it should have been at Fenway. I do. It should have been at Fenway. What else we got this weekend? Oh, the college football playoff championship game. The national championship game is set. It'll be Clemson, the number one team in the country, versus number two, Alabama, next Monday night. Clemson, who was, again, undefeated, number one team in the country. They were an underdog in the semifinal game against Oklahoma. They won that one. And they're once again an underdog to Alabama. Clemson is a seven-point dog. Now, I'm if you made me pick right now, I'd probably pick Alabama. Alabama just looks too good defensively. Their quarterback in a nice game. Uh, Alabama, I think, is going to win it all. But it's Clemson, Alabama, next Monday night, national championship. And then uh, bringing it back here locally for a minute. And and you know what? This actually plays into the Winter Classic stuff I just had, saying that the Bruins should have played, the Bruins Canadians should have played at Fenway. They played it at Gillette Stadium instead. Well, there was a story today that the Boston Celtics are looking into playing an outdoor NBA game at Fenway. An outdoor NBA game at Fenway. I think that'll be pretty cool. Now, obviously, the court is a lot smaller than the ice surface, so it might be even... You know, it's, it, it might be strange to watch that, but I still think it would be cool. Uh, here's what the Celtics, though, need to do first and foremost. Before they figure out where they're going to play an outdoor basketball game, they need to figure out how to win indoors against the Lakers and the Nets at home. The Celtics, you know they have this Brooklyn pick. They lose to the Lakers, then they lose to the Brooklyn Nets. Now, when they lose to the Lakers, you say, okay, You need the Lakers to get a couple more wins. You don't want them to do it at our expense, but if they happen to do it, so be it. They get another win. We then need to do our job and handle our own business against Brooklyn in the next game to help us out even more. And they can't even do that. So right now, the Celtics need to figure some things out. They play Brooklyn again tonight, and they need to beat them. Uh, They have to. Brooklyn has 10 wins. They're not the worst team in the league. So that definitely affects the chances of the Celtics, who have their number one pick, getting the number one overall pick, right? Celtics have their first round pick. You want that to be number one. Nets have 10 wins. The 76ers have three wins. The Lakers have eight. You look at maybe a team like Phoenix. They just lost Bledsoe, their best player. They have 12 wins. They're probably going to get worse. New Orleans, they have 11 wins. Who knows how good they're going to be? You get a couple other teams that are going to be bad down the stretch. There is nothing... That, that guarantees this Brooklyn pick is even going to be a top three pick. So you got to at least take care of your own business and beat Brooklyn yourselves. You didn't do it the other night. You got another chance to do it tonight. So the Celtics need to do that, but they lose to the Lakers and the Nets in back-to-back games. Those teams right now have a combined 18 wins. That's the same amount of wins the Celtics have. Not good for the Celtics. So I'll react to that game on tomorrow's podcast. And once again, Boston Red Sox general manager, Mike Hazen, he will join me on tomorrow's show. You can get this podcast by subscribing at dannypicard.com. You can also listen on the website, but it is easier to just get it on your phone through one of the apps, through the iTunes app, uh, iTunes podcast app. If you don't have an iPhone or a tablet, you can get it on Stitcher 
on TuneIn, really anywhere that podcasts are available. Search The Danny Picard Show. Subscribe today. I record this podcast every single weekday. You can listen whenever you want. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Danny Picard Show. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.